You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, every time I get a phone call, there's a part of me that fears the worst. Uh, you see, in ministry, you get a lot of hard phone calls. I remember once being at home, uh, just a few months before our first child, Finn, was born, when I got, got a call from uh, one of the city hospitals. Uh, it was the chaplain of the hospital uh, ringing to say that someone in our gospel community, our, our Bible study group, had lost their baby. They'd been pregnant for about six months and they were so excited. This was their first child they planned everything, they got everything ready, the nursery, the car, all of that stuff, and suddenly it was gone, just, just gone. And I remember being at the funeral, seeing them, the, the, the father carrying in this tiny little casket, not much bigger than a shoebox. When I was told that this had happened, I thought it must have been some mistake that they were speaking about the wrong person because tragically I was expecting this phone call about someone else in our group. See, there was another couple in our group who were pregnant and they were expecting to lose their baby. They'd been told that their their child had a, a rare condition that would mean it would almost certainly die in the womb or just after birth. And they'd held on. There was still this hope and they were praying and desperately wanting this to happen. And the longer the pregnancy went on, there was their hope grew. And so when they lost that child, the pain felt even worse. Uh, she had to deliver this child stillborn. And as I, I remember seeing the photos of them holding this child, and it looked just like any other child, asleep, But, of course, it wasn't just asleep. As they left the hospital, they were given a teddy bear with a little note from a group called Empty Arms. Uh, This note was from someone else who had been in their shoes, from someone who had also given birth to a stillborn child and had felt the gnawing emptiness when you're supposed to hold a child but then you've had it taken away, that the sense that your arms are empty. They never knew, my friends, but they recognised the deepest wound within them because they felt it too. There is so much pain, so much suffering in the world around us and in the lives around us. Perhaps it's a, a sharp jolting pain, a recent shock that hit you square on, that sunk into the pit of your stomach, leaving you breathless. The the shock of a cancer diagnosis, the horror of discovering your spouse has cheated on you, the shame that you feel of a, a cruel word that someone has said to you. Perhaps it's a kind of dull ache, a bruise that's always tender to the touch, the pain of a chronic illness, the long grief of infertility, the challenge of nursing a parent who's losing their memory, the the angst of parenting a child who's lost their way, the isolation of mental illness, the, the sadness of loneliness or the loneliness of a drifting marriage, the gnawing regret perhaps of a foolish decision, 
There's so much pain out there, and I'm guessing that pretty much everyone here has some pain that you're carrying today, that you are bringing with you, that you are nursing today. We're in week four of our Enjoying God series. We've been thinking over the last few weeks about how God is a God to be enjoyed, that he's God who's not just to be obeyed, but to be enjoyed, that he's lovable and good. We enjoy his gifts. We enjoy the worship things that he gives us, the the way that we can read his word and speak to him. Last week, we even thought about how we can enjoy him in difficulty, in times of uncertainty. And today I want us to think about how we might even enjoy him in our pain. Now, this might seem a an incongruous topic, perhaps even an offensive one, enjoying God in our pain? How is that possible? In fact, you might even question whether that's appropriate to even speak about that. So before we go on, I think it's important to clarify just a few things. First of all, we need to understand what we mean by the word enjoy. So we're not saying that we're enjoying the pain itself. Uh, That's a kind of masochism. That's, That's a perversion. It's also important to say that we're not using the word enjoy in a flippant way, in just a casual sense, oh, this is fun. We're not saying that. We're talking about a deeper kind of enjoyment, something different to happiness, but something profound and meaningful. And remarkably, I believe this is actually possible. The Apostle Paul would say most famously in Philippians 4, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content And he goes on to explain, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, this is an extraordinary thing to say because Paul suffered profoundly. In 2 Corinthians 11, he he tells the church at Corinth, he speaks to them about the countless speedings that he had that often brought him near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. This is a person who had suffered and yet had learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, of enjoying God in any and every circumstance, even pain. And so today, I want to see if I I can kind of explore this with you, how we might even enjoy God in our pain. I do it carefully. I do it humbly. I, I understand that this is a very sensitive topic. And I cannot say that I have the most profound experiences of enjoying God in my pain. But I want to suggest a a framework which might help us to think, first of all, of God's perfection and his plan. That's where we start. If we're looking for God, I think we need to look to the past and how he created the world. Because the world that he created was a perfect world. 
a glorious world. A world that was good and very good. Uh, so we read in Genesis 1 that God sees, uh, he makes the seas and the earth and God saw that it was good. He makes the plants and the trees and God saw that it was good. He makes the stars and the sun and God saw that it was good. Until eventually God finishes everything and it is all good. Genesis 1.31, God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. The world that God made was good and very good. It was ordered, it was beautiful, it was life-giving. And it was only sin that changed that. In Genesis 3, we see that humanity turns from God. They're tempted by the devil and they, uh, they embrace what the devil suggests to them. They seek pleasure, but then they discover only pain, a physical, emotional and spiritual pain. You see, sin leads to pain, pain in us or pain to us, pain from us and pain around us. There's pain in us as we deal with the things that people do to us. But we're also, if we're honest, we have to recognise that there's pain from us, that there's things where we act in selfishness or cruelty that cause pain to others. And then there's pain around us. Sin through the world into turmoil, and we see the fruits of that everywhere. In Romans 8, we're told that creation was subjected to futility, that it is in bondage to corruption, that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth. There is pain everywhere because there is sin everywhere that brings a curse on this world. And we might wonder. If there is any hope in this, we might wonder how God feels about this. And that's why I love the story of Jesus and Lazarus. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to open to John, John chapter 11. You'll know the story of Jesus and Lazarus, I'm sure. You certainly know how it ends. But I want to actually take you to the part before that. Uh, in John chapter 11, verse 32, uh, obviously, uh, Jesus is friends with Mary and Martha, two sisters, and Lazarus is their brother. Uh, Mary and Martha send word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick, he's nearing death, and they beg for Jesus to come and to rescue him. And they, they know that Jesus has power, so they're like, please come and heal him. Jesus is delayed, and by the time he gets there, Lazarus is already dead. And then we read in verse 32 that when Jesus gets there, the scene is just devastating. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. I find that phrase just so remarkable. When it says that he's deeply moved in his spirit, in the original language, it means something like he's snorting like a horse, an angry horse, stomping and baying, scratching at the ground. There's a, Jesus is troubled, but Jesus is even angry, angry that there is something that has caused pain. How does God feel about the pain that is in the world? There is a deep 
sadness and even an anger. Because Jesus is looking at this death here and he sees something that does not belong in his world. We need to understand If we're going to enjoy God in our pain, we need to look back and see the perfection of God's creation. That when God made this world, it was perfect and it was good. There was no pain. And so whenever God sees pain in this world, there's something within him that is deeply troubled and saddened by it, even angered by it. Now, how does that help? Well, it helps because it shows us that our instinct towards pain comes from somewhere. You see, it's not just that we don't enjoy pain. It's not just that we don't like it. There's actually something more to it than that. It's almost like we're offended by it. We don't believe that it should be there. We actually have an instinct within us that this does not belong in the world. It doesn't feel right. Cancer feels evil. Loneliness doesn't feel right. No child should die. That's how we feel. That's our instinct. And I want to say today that our instinct is correct. Pain does not belong in this world. Pain is always an intruder. What we're feeling, what we're frustrated by is the curse that is in this world. We're feeling that curse. And that actually points to the fact that we believe that God created something better. We need to know that God is good in these moments. We need to go back to see the perfection of how God created this world. See, there's other options out there. Many uh, religions in the world, uh, in the ancient world, saw the world as a chaotic and unplanned thing. The Babylonians, for instance, believed that this world stemmed from a great cosmic uh, fight amongst the gods uh, where the god Marduk Uh, broke the goddess Tiamat in half and used her body to create heaven and earth. The picture you're having of the world there is, is a world that's created from the entrails of a goddess. That's not a world that's beautiful. That's a world that's just the fruit of a violent, painful conflict. That's not the picture that we get in Genesis. Pain comes after sin. The, the world that God made was perfect and good. Or consider atheism. For an atheist, all that there is is matter and the material randomly colliding in a mindless string of chemical reactions. And so pain is just an accident. Uh, Richard Dawkins, the high priest of the new atheist movement, says, in a universe of blind physical forces, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and we won't find any rhyme or reason to it nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at the bottom no design, no purpose, no evil and no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. If the world is like that, then the, the instinct that you have that there's something wrong here, you've got no right to think that. But if the world was made by a good God, a perfect God, if the world was made beautiful and beautifully, then your instinct is correct. We enjoy God by looking back at the past and the perfection of his creation. And we're reassured that God is good and pain does not belong. In a good world made by a good God, pain is always an intruder. 
So that's in our past. But I want to suggest as well that we enjoy God in our present by discovering him with us. See, there's something else that I noticed in the the story with uh, Jesus and Lazarus. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. When Jesus saw her weeping, that's when he was moved. See, there's few harder things to see than someone mourning. Uh, I always remember being by the uh, the bedside of uh, my granddad. Uh, My family had travelled to see him, hoping to catch him before he passed away, but we just missed out. and the rest of my family, including me, got there before my dad. He'd been somewhere else. And, and I always remember the scene when he first came into the room and he realised that his father had passed away and he just let out this groan. And, and it was the saddest thing I'd ever seen. And see, there's something very profound about seeing someone else in pain. You, you actually feel their pain to a degree, don't you? And it's good. We're supposed to have that kind of empathy. And what I love about this picture here is that Jesus feels the same way. He sees the sadness and the grief of his friends and he feels sad. But it's not just their pain that he feels, it's his own pain as well. Verse 34, surrounded by the mourners, he wants to see for himself and he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. And as they watch on, the crowd exclaims, see how he loved him. See how he loved him. See, Jesus empathised with the pain of others, but he also felt his own pain. And what makes this so remarkable is that Jesus didn't have to mourn. I mean, we know how this story ends, right, don't we? Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Jesus knew that he was going to do this, that it's, it's going to happen in about two minutes, and yet he still mourns. He still mourns. I don't know about you, but I just find that incredibly comforting. You see, so often in the Bible we hear uh, God's people calling out to God in their pain. Psalm uh, 69 verse 3, I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. And then verse 17, hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Really what they're saying in these Psalms is, God, do you care? Please reassure me that you care. You're listening. Do you notice? And here we see God's answer. We see it in Jesus, breaking down by the gravesite of his friend, crushed by the sorrow that he sees and the sorrow that he feels himself. And this invites us to see, to pull back and see the wonder of the incarnation. See, as Christians, we believe that Jesus Christ was both God and man in one person. That Jesus, the perfect, eternal Son of God, added to his divine nature a human nature. In Christ, the creator stepped into creation. We are the visited planet. And when he visited, he truly entered in. He got in amongst us. He didn't just kind of glide above the earth like a hologram. He didn't just sort of stand aloof and separate himself emotionally, no, He did everything. He got into the muck. He embraced the human experience. And that meant that Jesus truly experienced pain 
emotional, physical, spiritual pain. Now, I find this remarkable. See, our sin had cursed and broken the beautiful world that God had created. And so he could have just said, I'm just leaving it. In anger, he could have just said, I'm just going to leave you to yourself. I'm going to let this happen the way that you create, that, that you did this. You made the mistakes, you can live with them. He could have crashed that. But no, he entered in. That means that he understands our pain and comes alongside us in it. That's what he offers us. That's what he wants to do. God wants to walk alongside us in every season, in every difficulty. If we face rejection and isolation, Jesus knows what we were going through. Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. When we face the pain of desertion or betrayal, Jesus is there. Just think about what he experienced with his closest friends. Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him. Everyone else deserted him. If we face persecution, Jesus knows what that's like as well. And so Jesus understands every pain that we go through and is now offering to be with us, alongside us in those experiences. I know I've certainly found this. There are seasons in life where things are so difficult, whatever it is, grief or stress or anxiety or uh, disappointment, disillusionment, whatever it is. In those moments, you're desperate for God to be there And he comes in a way that feels even more profound than you could have imagined. You actually come to enjoy God in those moments. I was talking to someone the other day who'd had a miscarriage and they were saying that even in that season they had begun to praise God because they had felt his presence. So we need to believe this and understand this that Jesus is present in our pain. He was present with Mary and Martha and he is present with you and with me. And as you call out to him, as you bring your suffering to him, as you ask questions, know that Jesus weeps, that he is grieved that you're grieving, that he feels the pain that you're feeling, that he is in pain with you that he is present in our pain. But, of course, we need something more than that. We love that God has created a perfect world. That's an encouragement for us. We look back at that. We're so thankful that he's present with us, but we still need something more. And that's why we love the story of Lazarus, isn't it? I mean, it's great that God is there, but we need him to do something. And so that's why we love it. Verse 43, Jesus steps up to the grave and with a loud voice cries out, Lazarus, come out. And just like that, he does. Verse 44, the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. I love how it even says that. The man who had died came out. (laughs) Like, We're so familiar with this story that we might have forgotten the miracle 
that this man was actually dead and Jesus has raised him up. See, the story of Lazarus doesn't end with Jesus' tears. Jesus is not just a mournful God, he's a mighty God. He doesn't just sympathise with us in our pain, he can overcome it. We bring our pain to him because he cares and because he can do something about it, because he's powerful. But that pain, uh, that power that he has over pain is possible only because he did everything to defeat sin. John Calvin writes of seeing Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus that Christ does not come to the sepulchre as an idle spectator but like a wrestler preparing for the contest. Therefore, no wonder that he groans for the violent tyranny of death which he had to overcome stands before his eyes. Yes, Jesus could raise Lazarus from the dead, but Jesus knew that the only way that that could be possible for all of us is if he died. See, there is pain in the world only because of sin, and to get rid of that pain, Jesus has to get rid of the sin. And to do that, he had to go through the deepest and darkest pain himself. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. So the only way for Jesus to defeat death was to die himself. That's why he came to earth. He came because he saw the pain in the world and cared about it. He wanted to be with us in our pain and he came to overcome it by taking it upon himself. Isaiah 53 speaks of Jesus as a suffering servant, the one who takes God's justice and bears the pain of our rebellion and the the sickness of the world around us. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There is pain in the world because of sin. There is pain to us as people hurt us in their sin. There's pain from us as we hurt others. And there's pain around us because it's cursed the world. And Jesus takes all of that upon himself and deals with it. And we know that he succeeded because he rose from the dead. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and the Father The heavenly father raises Jesus from the dead. Ephesians 1 uh, verse 20, God raised him and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is is named. See, God was satisfied with what Jesus had done. The wages of sin are death. Jesus paid those wages. There was no more left to pay and so he was released. And this gives us hope. You see, the resurrection of Lazarus is like a preview of the resurrection of Jesus, which is like a preview of our resurrection. When Jesus raises Lazarus, it's like he's flexing his muscles, showing what he is capable of. And then when he he rises from the dead himself, it's the guarantee that we will rise with him. Remember what Jesus said by the graveside. I am the resurrection and the life. 
Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus had life within himself. He gave that to us when he created us. And now he gives us new life, raising us from the dead. He has that power to overcome if we come to him. Remember what he says, whoever believes in me, whoever recognises his power, whoever comes to him acknowledging the pain that they have caused, then Jesus will take that on and raise them from the dead. Now, of course, we might be asking, well, where's my miracle? Where's my Lazarus moment? What about the child that I've put in the grave? Will they rise? You know, Jesus did this wonderful thing for Mary and Martha. Why doesn't he do that for me? When will this power be felt and seen? Well, the promise of Scripture is that it is coming. That Lazarus was a demonstration of his power, but the final resolution of all things will see that power exemplified and put into practice. Revelation 21 Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. There's this wonderful picture that in God's presence, pain is extinguished. When God, dwells on, when God dwelt on the earth through Jesus, he got rid of the pain. He was healing people. He was delivering them from demonic oppression. He could raise Lazarus from the dead. And when God comes back, in his presence, there is no pain. I I love that picture. He wipes away every tear from our eyes. He's personally wiping them away. That's what he promises to do. He promises to create a new thing where there's no mourning, and no pain, because he will always be there. He will always provide his shield of protection. There'll be no pain to us and no pain from us. This is the reason for our thankfulness and our source of joy. In our grief, we look to the one who grieves with us, and find him alongside us. We look back and see what Christ has done on the cross, and so we look forward to what that work will achieve. We look to the future and find him there. I always think that one of the best ways to assess a religion or a worldview is to see what it says about suffering, about pain. We all face pain. It's the crippling reality of life. And so how does your religion help you in those things? What sustenance does it offer you? What perspective does it give you? Does it make sense of your pain and give you hope? Or does it leave you helpless 
and hopeless. And I think this, for me, is the, probably the number one reason why I trust and believe that Christianity is real. See, in Islam, pain is your experience, not Allah's. He is considered the cause of all causes, the unmoved mover, as one writer puts it. He moves all events in the universe but is himself moved by nothing. He doesn't come alongside his people in their pain. Allah is not crying by the gravesite of his friend. Or take Buddhism. Buddhism essentially denies pain and tries to avoid it. Pain is the fruit of attachment. So if you can avoid attachment, then you can avoid pain. That's essentially how Buddhism began. Siddhartha Gautama was raised inside a palace, but when he ventured outside one day, he discovered three people that changed his life, a, a frail old man, a sick man, and a corpse. Confronted by this reality of suffering and pain, he sought a solution and decided that uh, we, we suffer because we crave. So if you crave money, poverty will be painful. If you crave family, then singleness will bring suffering. So his conclusion was we must avoid the cravings to avoid the pain. Now, there's a kind of logic in that. But it doesn't comfort us when that pain presses in. It presses beyond any sense of detachment that we might have. Now, Kobayashi uh, Issa was a famous Buddhist poet who lived a couple of hundred years ago. This man knew pain. Uh, he lost his mother when he was young. He was abused by his stepmother. Four of his children died in infancy and his wife uh, gave birth, uh, died giving birth. In one of his pains, he, in one of his poems, he imagines the events of his life as kind of like dew, something that passes that cannot last. He writes, this world of Jew is only a world of Jew. And yet, and yet, he writes, you feel the, the wistfulness in that. He wants all of these horrible things to just be due, to just pass away, but he can't. He can't detach himself from that. He doesn't have to. The God who made us doesn't demand detachment. In fact, he chose attachment to us. He stepped into this world. So attached is he to us. He chose to feel pain by being alongside us. In Hinduism, pain is all your fault. It's explained by the idea of karma. With every action, there is a reaction, a consequence flowing from this life into the next. If you do good, you will see good. But if you are bad, then you will suffer and be reincarnated in a lower state. Salvation or moksha is achieved by accumulating enough good karma, enough good things to graduate to the next level. But this takes many lives and many worlds before you reach nirvana. Now, at first, there's almost something attractive about this. We like the idea that it's in our hands, that we can do stuff, that we can earn our way there. But there's also something incredibly cruel about it. In 1999, uh, the English soccer team was coached by a guy called Glenn Hoddle. Uh, he'd led the team to a World Cup the previous year and was highly regarded as a person and a manager until he said this, you and I have been physically given two hands and two legs and half-decent brains. Some people have not been born like that for a reason. The karma is working from another lifetime. 
I've nothing to hide about that. It's not only people with disabilities. What you sow, you have to reap. There's something incredibly cruel about that. The pain that you're experiencing right now under the idea of karma, it's your fault. It's entirely your fault. Your father is sick. Your child has walked away. Whatever that pain is, karma says it's your fault. Compare that to Christianity. Yes, sometimes our sin leads to pain, but the wonderful truth is that God releases us from that. He takes on our sin. He doesn't walk away from it. He takes it on and deals with it. He absorbs the justice so we can enjoy the grace. As I say, I think pain is the ultimate test of our religion and our worldviews. We all experience it. We need something to get us through it. That's when we fall back on our deepest beliefs, our understanding of the world and our spiritual instincts. And that's why I think Christianity is true. Christianity makes sense of our pain. It points us back and reminds us that the world that God made was perfect because God is good. Now, instinct that something is wrong is the same instinct that he has. And then in the present, it shows us that God is right alongside us, that he stepped into the pain to walk with us in it. And then it points us to the future. Jesus has overcome the pain and will destroy it entirely. We don't enjoy pain, but we can enjoy God in our pain. Let's pray. Father God, this is a a heavy topic. We thank you that there is hope even here. We thank you that the world that you created was perfect and good. We acknowledge that sin broke it, our sin, the sin around us, the sin done to us. We thank you, Jesus, that you didn't just walk away, you didn't just leave us in our pain, but you chose to step into it, that you took it on, that you grieve with us, and then ultimately that you overcome it, that, Jesus, you died. You experienced the utmost pain so that we would no longer have to. We look forward to the day where you wipe every tear from our eyes for the time where there will be no tears and no pain, for the new world that you are creating that will never be broken. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.